so after she wrote the critical review, which was, like I said, it showed the relationship between some of Warren's ideas and others in the history of, of, of economics. So especially like post-Keynesian uh, sort of ideas. So after she, she wrote this, Warren had her send it off uh, to, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred economists, including, you know, Milton Friedman and yeah. I mean, just everybody. How did Milton like what? it? <laughs> uh, Pavlina has a reply from Milton Friedman. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today is part four of my five-part conversation with one of MMT's original developers, Matthew Forstatter. Matt continues telling his many varied stories from the history of MMT, heterodox economics, and his long career. Today's conversation is highlighted by a detailed story of how his then-student Pavlina Cherneva became part of the MMT project. Pavlina was an undergraduate at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, a straight-A student, and a triple major in economics, mathematics, and Japanese. After her summer plans to return to her home country of Bulgaria fell through, she requested a paid summer internship. Despite being long after internships were decided, Matt wrote a brief letter on her behalf and sent it out to three prominent economic email listservs. He got three responses. Around the same time, Warren Mosler was sharing his new ideas in a draft of a short book called Soft Currency Economics. At the suggestion of Art Laffer, the same Art Laffer whose curve serves as the foundation of trickle-down economics, Warren found his way to the post-Keynesian talk or thought PKT email forum. It was there he saw Matt's letter and offered Pavlina a paid internship at his home in West Palm Beach, Florida. After Matt confirmed it was safe, Pavlina spent the summer writing a critical review of Warren's book and ideas, comparing it to the ideas in the history of economics. She also helped organize a 50th anniversary meeting of the Bretton Woods Conference. Since then, what MMTers such as Matt, Pavlina, and Randall Ray added to the MMT project was confirmation and validation of Warren's ideas by the historical record, both in and out of economics. The most prominent example Matt gives is how tax-driven money was confirmed by, among other sources, 
many of the various books from Matt's undergraduate degree of African American Studies. Matt also talks about the opportunities, tensions, and discrimination resulting from the new source of research funding that Warren provided. The tension was exacerbated by an environment of artificial scarcity as imposed by a society and government that frowns upon having its ideas being challenged. And now, back to my conversation with Matt Forstatter. So, low is, has been described as kind of the spiritus rector of, you know, the uh, University of Exile, and the name was changed to the Graduate Faculty of Political and Social Science uh, after the end of, you know, the Second World War. So there had been some work done on Adolf Lowe's more technical contributions to growth theory and business cycle theory, but I wanted to focus on his methodological contributions and how his methodological contributions fit in with you know, the work I just mentioned on growth and cycles, structural analysis, but also his ideas concerning political philosophy. Uh, because he had been a professor of economics and sociology in Germany, and then at the University of Manchester, he was a professor of economics and political philosophy. So this interdisciplinary and heterodox, what we now would think of as heterodox ideas, was uh, already in this approach that was brought from Europe to, to the New School. And because he lived such a long life, he... He published three of his major works after the age of 75. Wow. Um, so in any case, Lowe's methodology for public policy was this idea that economics should begin from our macro goals. So... Lowe took full employment, price stability, and stable, sustainable economic growth as the macro goals from which analysis would proceed. Hmm. So I wrote my dissertation, and my first few publications were on Lowe's work on methodology, and so it's partly the history of economic thought, and it's kind of inter interdisciplinary economic methodology. So it was a very natural extension of the work that I was doing, you know, to get involved in this 
group that wanted to work on full employment and price stability. If you look at, you know, on the Levy Institute, uh, I was there as a scholar in residence from 1997 to 1999. I was, like I said, on leave from Gettysburg College. Then, you know, when we left, they made me a um, research scholar or whatever, right? So then you're not actually in residence, but you have an affiliation. Mm-hmm. And so it still has the same description of what my research focus was going to be, the same exact description that I put in my application in you know 1997. And it said something like, Matthew Borstadter uh, will be uh, taking an interdisciplinary and historical approach to the examination of unemployment and budgetary policy or something like that. But you know, the point is, interdisciplinary and historical approach. This is before I ever heard of UMKC. So this was what I had proposed and my proposal was accepted and so on. So uh, so you're saying that when you discovered MMT or Mosler and that group that you had already thought of some of these ideas? Well, yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing. Like, so the first thing was that uh, Pavlina Chernov was an undergraduate student at Gettysburg College. So I try not to talk about this like all the time because uh, Pavlina, like she doesn't like when I say this, but you know, I mean, she developed and far exceeded my influence, but she was my student, you know, way back. I mean, and it was because uh, her summer plans had gotten canceled. She She's originally from Bulgaria, and uh, she was uh, supposed to go home for, you know, something for the summer, but that got canceled, and so she came into my office, and this is like mid or late April, I think, asking if I knew of any uh, paid summer internships. Now, you you may or may not be aware, but summer internships are pretty much settled and set well before April. I mean, and if you add paid to that, <laughs> I mean, that is quite... Now, one thing I will say is that Pavlina was, uh, you know, a straight A student, triple major in <laughs> economics, mathematics, and Japanese. <laughs> um, wow. And several other, you know, very, I mean, when I got to Gettysburg in 19, the fall of 1992, through work, I got my first desktop computer 
you know, now, at the new school, there was one professor who actually had a desktop computer in their office when I was there from 1987 to 1992 when I was actually in residence at the new school. So we're talking about, you know, early days of the World Wide Web and all that. So before social media, before blogs, there were email discussion lists. Sure. And, you know, these still exist to some extent, uh, but their their importance is, uh, has been uh, diminished by, you know, Facebook and uh, blogs and, you know, many other social media, right? But, uh, you know, for the younger people, basically, you send an email message to post-Keynesian thought listserv, and everyone who is subscribed to that email discussion list will receive your email. Sure. And so, yeah, there were a few important ones related to heterodox economics. One is was the PKT, Post-Keynesian Thought uh, Listserv, and somebody had uh, recommended to Warren Mosler that he check it out because they thought that some of the ideas he was talking about on the mainstream economics listserv or whatever, that maybe he'd find some receptive people over on the post-Keynesian list. So, but, you know, you had, I don't know, three, four hundred post-Keynesians from around the world, all the top people. So Paul Davidson, Randy Ray, Basil Moore, you know, I mean, are all on this. And, you know, ideas are discussed and debated and so on. And then, you know, there were a few others. There was the Progressive Economists Network Listserv, Penel. There was the Ecological Economics one that I, you know, I was on. So I made up a paragraph uh, about Pavlina, and I sent it out on these listservs. Uh-huh. And I got three responses. Wow. Well, one from the Food and Agriculture Organization, one from the, you know, one from a private individual who co-owned a hedge fund in West Palm Beach, Florida, Warren hmm. Mosler, and hmm. he said, "Yes, I have a paid uh, summer internship." Wow. You know, uh, open, and so I had to do a little background because, you know, you can't just send a young <laughs> female student, but, you know, I talked to some people who met him, and, you know, they uh, assured me he was, you know, a family man who 
you know, was a self-made man, honest, and that uh, it would be perfectly safe. And so Pavlina went down to West Palm Beach, and wow. uh, she had two assignments. One was to write a critical review of soft currency economics. Wow. Um, and, okay, Warren had been a economics major at the University of Connecticut. You know, he often says, uh, yeah, I was like a C-minus student. <laughs> and he said he had tried to read, you know, like a little bit of the general theory. But other than that, like all the ideas, so-called the economics, were as if, you know, right out of the head of, seems like something comes just like out of nowhere, right? Because hmm. um, Warren was not familiar with the history of economic ideas. So even if there were some similar ideas, that's not where Warren Moser got his ideas, right? Sure. So the effect when, you know, people are reading this stuff, it helps if you can contextualize and say, you know, in some ways, this has family resemblances too, but differs in that, right? It, 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 sure. it helps a bit, and it also can legitimize, you know, a bit, because if uh, other well-respected thinkers had similar ideas, then people are not as quick to dismiss so a lot of what we did at first was to compare some of what Warren was talking about with the similar ideas in the history of economics. Now, you know, the big idea that Warren usually, you know, started with in dinner conversation, if he's trying to explain to someone, you know, his uh, conception of the economy, that came about as a result of his activities as a bond trader. This is how he developed his ideas, right, from his experience dealing with central banks and Treasury Department, and so the first idea is that fiat money is tax-driven, right? Taxes and the requirement that tax obligations be settled in the federal government's monopoly money creates a demand for intrinsically worthless currency and gives it value. So the moment I saw that, I, I went right to my 
office bookshelf from my undergraduate African studies, Walter Rodney, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, Claude Ake, Revolutionary Pressures in Africa, and Samir Amin, Unequal Development, and all three talking about how the colonial governments would impose a tax and require the tax be paid in the colonial currency, and that created need for Africans to either sell their labor services for colonial uh, currency or grow cash crops uh, rather than subsistence goods. And the traditional uh, Marxian idea was that uh, capitalism, its, its origins, so-called a primitive accumulation, right. was uh, yeah. Yeah, throwing the population off the land so that they couldn't, you know, they, they, they couldn't just grow their own food and survive. But in Africa and in other uh, colonial contexts, it was not always possible or even desirable to throw the population off the land. So this other method of compelling the indigenous population to enter into waste labor or to grow cash crops, which had, you know, not been at all emphasized, but it turns out when I started looking into it that, boy, many people knew about this and wrote about this and not just in Africa and not just in the colonial context. And, you know, we found out that there were many, many more examples of this kind of tax-driven money in history than I think uh, was previously understood and that many more economists or others, you know, scholars from other disciplines, but also I found lots of evidence in the diaries of the colonial governors themselves. They were mm. very, very conscious of of what they were doing. So, I mean, when I see comments uh, on social media or something uh, that there's no historical examples, I mean... You wrote a paper, I, you, guess, I believe that you and Warren wrote a paper about... Uh, uh, Primitive accumulations, that was called? Well, that one was, I, I wrote that one on my own. Warren and I have uh, two co-authored uh, papers. One is the natural rate sure. uh, of interest is zero. And uh, the other one was a general 
framework for the analysis of currencies and right. other okay. commodities. That's what I'm mixing up. And the, then the you horizontal wrote... and vertical aspects of the money supply process. Right. Okay. So, and then, and then on your yeah. own, you wrote the primitive accumulation. Taxation article. and primitive accumulation, and that paper has been cited quite a bit by people writing about, you know, colonial history or primitive accumulation, or it's kind of, you know, nice to see because when Novel MMT scholars, you know, citing your work as part of the historical evidence and the the you know recognition of that this was a a widely uh, practiced uh, method of not only monetizing the colonial economy in terms of the colonial currency, but also of the commoditization of uh, agricultural crops and uh, livestock and so on, and, and the commoditization of labor services, and general marketization. I mean... What is marketization? What does that mean? It means Just cre the creation of a market? Spread of markets, yeah. As okay. the means of organizing production distribution. So, okay. I mean, monetization, commoditization, marketization, it's creating capitalism. And, you know, <laughs> one of the really incredible things that I began to consider as a possibility is that rather than the economy evolving naturally into, you know, capitalist economy, the economy was not just money, but the economy was created by the state. And, I mean, this is a, you know, it goes against not only the mainstream view, but heterodoxy as well. I mean, you don't have a heterodox economics seeing the economy as created by the state, you know, often... That seems the, just like basic chartalism. Well, but chartalism, it usually, you know, in, in, in that money is a creature of the state. But uh, I'm talking about not just money, but the economy itself. I mean, uh, in, in any case... Um, so when I, I sent these quotes to, uh, to Pavlina and Warren, so, so Pavlina is down there and she and I are on the phone and email and faxing back and forth like every day. I mean, I'm 
sort of supervising her internship, but obviously extremely bright and capable young person, but she had very little background or training in really before she came into my office, even though she had had introductory macroeconomics with me uh, for a semester, she was a bit more, I would say, leaning toward uh, microeconomics. And uh, because of her math skills, and we had professors who were guiding her toward you know, game theory and stuff like that. So she didn't really know very much about, you know, post-Keynesian economics before we uh, we got together on this. Now, this was between her um, junior and senior years, and then as a senior, she wrote her undergraduate honors uh, thesis in economics where she did a mathematical model of Warren's ideas. And Hmm. uh, yeah, you can, you can read that. And Randy has used a little bit of that in some of what he's uh, done and, uh, anyway, it, it, it's available. So her other responsibility, other than writing the critical review, was Warren decided to have a 50th anniversary of the Bretton Woods meetings, right? That was 1946, so... I'm talking 1996, and so... Oh, yeah, I heard... I guess it was in the... the, the Assisted with the, you know, organizing or whatever of this conference. So let's say there were 100 people who came to it. 97 were Warren's colleagues from the world of hedge funds and investment, you know, and then there were three economists, Randy Ray, Charles Goodhart, and Basil Moore. So all monetary economists. And uh, so after she wrote the critical review, which was, like I said, it showed the relationship between some of Warren's ideas and others in the history of, of, of economics. So especially like post-Keynesian uh, sort of ideas. So after she, she wrote this, Warren had her send it off uh, to, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred economists including, you know, Milton Friedman and yeah. I mean, just everybody. Adam Milton liked it. <laughs> uh, 
Pavlina has a reply from Milton Friedman. Oh, yeah? In, he wrote in his own hand on the paper itself and sent it back to her. And it was, you know, it was not insulting or anything like that. I mean, you know, in any case, she got a lot of, you know, she got, she got some responses. Then there were also people like um, John Kenneth Galbraith and, hmm. you know, Jamie Galbraith that, you know, were a lot uh, more sympathetic, right? Uh, but, you know, it was a great experience for, you know, a young person. And so Pavlina finishes her summer internship. And to show my appreciation to Warren Mosler for, you know, the opportunities that he gave uh, to my student, I organized a session for the next Eastern Economic Association annual meetings in Washington, D.C., uh, either late. 1996 or early 1997. So the session I organized was Warren presenting some of his ideas from soft currency economics and then Pavlina presenting her mathematical model of uh, Warren's ideas and then there would be three discussants, Randy Ray, Jan Craigle, and Mel, who was my former professor from the uh, New School and very brilliant thinker and uh, erudite scholar. In, in any case, this happened to be the same, I guess, Hyman Minsky had passed away maybe six months before this. And so there were two or three sessions in memory of Hyman Minsky, and a lot of people came from all over, including overseas, you know, you have the American Economics Association, which is, you know, national and international in terms of membership. And, and then you have these regional economics associations. So you have the Eastern, which is the mid-Atlantic um, states. You have the uh, Southern Economic Association. You have... The Western, so each one has kind of its own identity in terms of, like, the Easterns are the most heterodox, I would say, at least traditionally, of the regional economics associations. And there was a very good attendance at these Minsky, and I don't know, for whatever reason, we had a very 
large turnout for this session I organized kind of to express appreciation to, to Mosler. In addition, Warren uh, sponsored a dinner, you know, so there's a lot less money and funding available in the world of heterodox economics, needless to say, and it's a shame because even when words started getting around, you know, um, there's this guy who is maybe going to fund some post-Keynesian ideas. I mean, he started to get swamped with, you know, uh, requests for money and funding and so on. And the, the crazy thing is, like, some people, they would ask me, you know, what would you think about, you know, me submitting a proposal, you know, for a research project? And, I mean, I'd give them feedback on the idea or whatever. But then you had people who, even though they were my quote-unquote friends and they knew that I was involved with uh, getting some research projects started with Mosler and so on. They didn't say anything to me. They would just write to Warren. But Warren would just immediately send it to me. Hmm. It was just kind of interesting because a lot of people, you know, my quote-unquote friends, (laughs) they were telling Warren, oh, you know, Matt is too young. He's too inexperienced. Because what had happened is that during the summer of 1996, when I was working with Pavlina, she was doing this internship. One day, I said something to Pavlina, and she said something to somebody in the background who said something back to her and then she said something to me and this went back and forth like that like three times and then she said he wants to talk to you so like I had never actually spoken to Warren I had had discussions with him on email but I hadn't talked to him on the phone so he he knew what I was helping uh, with Pavlina and so on. So he got on the phone and he said, well, how you doing? <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, good. He said, um, so what do you think of all this? I, I mean, you got to understand, uh, I, I'm not somebody who has experience, you know, meeting or speaking with millionaires or, you know, just it. I, I and I was thirty-five years old. I didn't even have tenure. I'm at a small liberal arts college. You know, I mean, so 
what do you think of all this? Uh, like, oh, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> you know, which, you know, it, sincerely, it, it was. But uh, then he said, so what do you think I should do these ideas or something along those lines? And I said, well, I mean, if you seriously want to see the research in these areas, you might want to start an institute. And he said, what would be the highest position in such an institute you would be willing to accept? Hmm. What? We'll be the highest. <laughs> I mean, this to me was like bizarre. I mean, what are you kidding me? Uh, so, in any case, that's how the Center for Full Employment Price Stability uh, was started, and I became its founding director. And um, when it was just an idea and he was telling people, you know, like Paul Davidson, uh, you know, others that, yeah, Matt Forstadter, I mean, Paul Davidson, he didn't even know who I was. But Will Milberg, who was a professor at the New School and now is the dean of the graduate faculty, but I never had any courses with him because he was hired after I was already done all my coursework, but he was on my dissertation committee because his work was sort of related to certain aspects of what I wanted to do in my dissertation. Uh, so uh, Will Milberg, he was a student of Paul Davidson. Uh, at Rutgers, I guess in the 1980s. So supposedly he told uh, Paul Davidson, you know, Matt's a very good and nice fellow, and but this is not really his field. He Matt is a history of thought scholar not a macro and monetary economist. So this is my own this is my own friend then uh um Warren Mosler is telling me how you know he would ask people, you know, what do you think about this idea, Matt Horstad or blah 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 and then just like he would send me the the letters that were asking him for money or whatever, he, he would tell me what the people were uh, saying. Paul Davidson, you know, told them, he, he asked Will Milberg, and they said he's a, a good kid, but, he, you know, it's not nice. So I started to really get a lesson in, you were talking the other day about, you know, the artificial scarcity. And so there's 
so few resources for heterodox economists that, you know, it's like fighting over scraps. But, you know, it's like the backstabbing and the jealousy and, you know, I mean, it's just in every, every field or something, but it really kind of hit home to me more because heterodox economics and a lot of heterodox economists will espouse principles and it was a disappointment to me to see, for example, heterodox economists might criticize the homo economicus idea that human beings are, you know, infinitely greedy and instead will emphasize not altruism, the diversity of human motivations and behaviors. And so it's like a disappointment when you feel like especially your so-called friends are, you know, undermining you for no reason. I guess I kind of am someone that in economics and academia, I feel like I've often been undervalued, underappreciated, Let's put it this way. Um, people weren't predicting, like, you know, high expectations of of my chances for success. So I've, I've done a lot of um, surprising people and exceeding expectations and things like that. So, I mean, one of the things that I'm proud of, I guess, is say is that in addition to certain uh, methodological and theoretical mini contributions that I made in the development of MMT, from the very beginning, I emphasized and even insisted on the implications of modern money theory for creating an ecologically sustainable Mm. society and insisting on uh, a sort of anti-racist peace, unemployment in the African-American community and the work related to Africa that I was doing in the colonial taxation. And then also, you know, I was the one who brought out the discussions of the job guarantee in Martin Luther King's work and then Mm. many other African-American authors. And yeah, I mean, I feel like, Now, if you look at, you know, discussions of MMT, 
you know, like with the Green New Deal and things like that, you would think that, oh, everybody, ago, 25 years ago, no. And the environmental piece, it wasn't just that, you know, uh, others weren't emphasizing that. There were key figures in modern money theory who had a very different view of the environmental aspects and it wasn't that they were opposed to, you know, what I was uh, talking about, but there was, I mean, modern money theory became a lot more politically progressive around the time of the Great Recession and, you know, the global financial crisis, the um, the Occupy movement was really very, very important. But, um, yeah, I, I would say the ecological sustainability piece and bringing race and, to a lesser extent, the gender uh, you know the intersectionality and so on into it that uh now it's like you know that's the way it's always been, but mm, no anybody who wants to can go back and um, the important thing for me is now you have folks like the Modern Money Network and GISP, you know, interdisciplinary and progressive scholars and who are very much, you know, ecological and, and social justice is inseparable from the approach, the framework, the thinking and so on. So But all but, these things are all these things I mean, you're uh in sustainable prosperity, which is the I first heard right. that from Stephen Hale in his book. Um mm -hmm. and your your background on your your undergraduate degree in African American studies mm -hmm. and even the job guarantee, I mean they're all very closely related to each other. Right. Right, absolutely. Now, people sometimes ask, why did I often emphasize the inter-industry or inter-sectoral linkages and the issues of structural and technological change in addition to the issues of aggregate demand, you have these other factors that are important for understanding involuntary unemployment and the 
challenges of attaining and maintaining maintaining. full employment once it is attained by whatever means. So back in the 70s and 80s, there were... Today is part four of my five-part conversation with one of MMT's original developers, Matthew Forstatter. Matt continues telling his many varied stories from the history of MMT, heterodox economics, and his long career. Today's conversation is highlighted by a detailed story of how his then-student Pavlina Cherneva became part of the MMT project. Pavlina was an undergraduate at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, a straight-A student, and a triple major in economics, mathematics, and Japanese. After her summer plans to return to her home country of Bulgaria fell through, she requested a paid summer internship. Despite being long after internships were decided, Matt wrote a brief letter on her behalf 
and sent it out to three prominent economic email list serves. He got three responses. Around the same time, Warren Mosler was sharing his new ideas in a draft of a short book called Soft Currency Economics. At the suggestion of Art Laffer, the same Art Laffer whose curve serves as the foundation of trickle-down economics, Warren found his way to the post-Keynesian talk, or thought, PKT email forum. It was there he saw Matt's letter and offered Pavlina a paid internship at his home in West Palm Beach, Florida. After Matt confirmed it was safe, Pavlina spent the summer writing a critical review of Warren's book and ideas, comparing it to the ideas in the history of economics. She also helped organize a 50th anniversary meeting of the Bretton Woods Conference. Since then, what MMTers such as Matt, Pavlina, and Randall Ray added to the MMT project was confirmation and validation of Warren's ideas by the historical record, both in and out of economics. The most prominent example Matt gives is how tax-driven money was confirmed by, among other sources, many of the various books from Matt's undergraduate degree of African American Studies. Matt also talks about the opportunities, tensions, and discrimination resulting from the new source of research funding that Warren provided. The tension was exacerbated by an environment of artificial scarcity as imposed by a society and government that frowns upon having its ideas being challenged. And now, back to my conversation with Matt Forstatter.